Let me be honest. If you have ever been part of a church, you know it is messy. There is no escaping it. To be a part of a community means you are going to experience mess because you and I, all of us, all of humanity, we are sinners. And so if you put a bunch of sinners in a room, it is going to get messy eventually. We can hold it together for a while, but eventually it's going to get complicated. It's going to get painful. Our pride, our foolishness, our selfishness, our bad theological beliefs are going to spill out and it's going to affect all of us. Well, the church in the Greek city of Corinth in the first century may be on the short list for messiest church in history. If you're familiar with the book of 1 Corinthians and the church at Corinth, you know whatever the sin was, they committed it. They had elevated human wisdom and philosophy, and they had downplayed the word of God and the centrality of the gospel. They built cliques around particular leaders and particular personalities. They disregarded holiness, and sexual immorality ran rampant. Folks demanded their rights and that people give them what they want over caring for other people. There were broken marriage relationships and a really misguided view of marriage that had taken root in the church. There was pridefulness in knowledge and intelligence. They valued gifting over loving other people, and they misused their spiritual gifts. They had bad theological beliefs, particularly around the resurrection. If you were a part of the church at Corinth, it really would not be surprising if you kind of threw up your hands and go, what's the point of all this? Is this what church is about? Why bother with any of this? But at the same time, it sounds sort of familiar, doesn't it? Uh, the list that I just read through, we could apply this to the church in the United States. Sadly, this too often describes the U.S. in the church in the U.S. Look, we've downplayed the centrality of the gospel and we've elevated human philosophy and wisdom and our own, our own methods and means. We've built cliques around particular leaders and particular theological camps. We've let sexual immorality run rampant. We've disregarded holiness the, the rich have mistreated and disregarded the poor. We've demanded our rights over caring for others. We've had poor views of marriage and broken marriages in our midst. We are prideful in our knowledge and our intelligence. We value gifting over loving others. We have misused our spiritual gifts, and the bad theology that we have followed could fill an entire cyclopedia, and it actually has. And so if you look at all of the mess, maybe you have thought too, what's the point? Why bother with any of this? Why be part of a church? Because to be part of a church is to experience the mess of community yourself. Even in the healthiest churches, it's going to be difficult at times. At the same time, some of you, the mess you've experienced has been deeper and more profound it isn't just sort of the normal mess when you get two people in a room and, and we tend to hurt each other. No, this is deeper and more profound. You've experienced deep hurt. You've been abused by the church. You've experienced sin that cuts and leaves a scar that just doesn't go away with an apology. So being part of a church, if anyone invites you to church or invites you into community, you hear Pastor Paul talking about, hey, you can join a gospel community and get deeper into community. You immediately start getting the sweat on your brow and the hair stands up on the back of your neck because you don't want to go down that road again. You know what it's like to be deeply hurt by the church. But if we press in another direction, 
To be part of the church is to contribute to the mess. You may be familiar with this, this quip. There are no perfect churches, but if you do happen to find one, the moment you show up, you'll ruin it. See, the truth is, it's not just that we have been sinned against and we've experienced the mess of others. We contribute to the problem. Our sin is in the mix. And so we have to be honest and ask ourselves, how has our sin contributed to the mess and the brokenness and the pain in the church? Has my sin done great damage and harm to others? Have I built others up in Christ? Or have I had the effect of actually tearing others down and harming their faith? So look, if we focus on the negative, we focus on the sin, all of this paints a fairly bleak picture. Focusing on sin and brokenness certainly leaves us feeling frustrated and lonely and hurt and maybe even guilty. And maybe that's where you've come this morning. That's where you are, if you're honest. Church is just this ball of frustration and pain and hurt and confusion and loneliness for you. There's no joy. You hear people talking about the joy of community, and you're like, what is that? I don't know what that is, or I have forgotten what that is. And I want to be honest with you. If there is a reluctance to be part of a church community, look, I understand. I get it. Both from growing up in the church and hurt that I have experienced, but also as a pastor. Look, if I can be honest and vulnerable here for a second, look, you may be tended to think that being a pastor means you, you sort of have to have put on this happy hat and just say, the church is awesome. You all should be a part of this. Or maybe you think the reason I'm a pastor is because I just believe the church is the greatest thing in the world. Or maybe you think, hey, your paycheck depends on people showing up, so you have to be positive about people. But here's the truth. Again, if I can be honest. Sometimes being a pastor makes you the most cynical guy in the room. Because sometimes you get an up-close and personal view of the mess and you wonder, God, are you going to do anything? Are you going to change anything? And then you hear the critiques and you hear the complaints and it's hard not to take that stuff personally. And so you begin to see people through the eyes of suspicion. Or you recognize that your sin and your, or your words carry so much weight and then your sin carries weight and the way that you can hurt people even when you're not intending to and all of that mixed together, there are some days, there are some days where I ask myself, is this worth it? So I understand the reluctance. This isn't meant to be a pity party for the pastor. I'm just trying to be honest and say, I understand. But here is the other side of this. Here is what we need to remember. As messy as this gets, as hard as this gets, as difficult as this can be, we have every reason to hope. We have every reason to be all in with this thing called the church. Despite the mess, despite the pain, despite the cynicism you and I might battle, we have every reason to hope. So the letter of 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth, and he was doing this to bring much-needed correction. This church needed to be straightened out. <laughs> this church needed some correction. And so as we venture through this book, we're going to see strong correction, teaching, reorienting them, rebuking them, setting them straight, fixing broken ideas and theology. But at the same time, the Apostle Paul does this not with a sense of cynicism, not with a sense of I'm about ready to write these jokers off. He does it with the utmost amount of hope. And we see that hope 
right at the beginning. Paul spoke with hope to the Corinthian church. And the hope that the apostle Paul spoke with to that church is the same hope that the word of God speaks to us, First City Church. And so if we wanted to summarize the hope that Paul communicates in the opening verses of 1 Corinthians, it would be this. The church is the people of God, transformed by the power of God, living for the purpose of God. That's the hope that the Apostle Paul opens with, that the church is the people of God, transformed by the power of God, living for the purpose of God. In these first nine verses, Paul stacks label upon label, truth upon truth, concerning who the church is and the power that's at work in them. This is why the Apostle Paul had hope, because he knew who the church was, and he knew the power that was at work in them. Here's what he writes in verses one through three. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace to God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When's the last time you wrote a letter where you had to rebuke somebody, but you opened with grace to you and peace? That sort of sets the tone, right? It reorients how, you, how you're gonna communicate the correction Usually we want to go in just with fists up, burning stuff down. I want you to know how much you've hurt me. I want to just break this thing. Anger. Paul leads with grace to you from God and peace. Why can he do that? Because he has hope. He has hope in the people of who the people of God are and the power of God working in them. And so this is what Paul calls the church, the church of God. Paul calls the, the church at Corinth, the church of God, communicating something very important. Look, this church, this community belongs to God. It doesn't belong to the pastors. It doesn't belong to some personality. It doesn't belong to just one group of people. It belongs to God. And this is why we have hope in that. It means that because this is God's community, it means God is committed to it. It means that because this is God's community, God is going to build this church. God is going to be working in this church. Later in 1 Corinthians, Paul calls, calls the church God's building and God's field and God's temple. So on the one hand, this should humble us because to be the church means we live under the authority of God, first and foremost. We live under his word, his presence, his teaching, his authority, his power. So this humbles us. We're not doing this for ourselves. We're not our own authority here. We live under the authority of God. But this speaks to the fact that God is all in. As Paul told the leaders of the Ephesian church in Acts 18, he said, God purchased the church with his own blood, with the blood of his, his son, Look, if you've ever dropped a ton of money on something, how do you treat that thing? Like if you dropped a ton of money into your house or your car or in some, some valuable, how do you treat that thing? You treat it pretty special, right? You don't just kind of throw it out and just let anybody wreck it and ruin it. You take care of it because you've invested in it. You've worked hard for it. And so it is valuable to you. You know how valuable the church is to God he purchased us with the blood of his son. 
the blood of Jesus Christ. He spared no expense. What other thing could be more valuable than the blood of the Son of God? That is how committed God is to the church. That's why we have hope, church, because we belong to God. This is his community. And so again, if I can be bold and open and vulnerable, what this means is, is that this community doesn't rise and fall on leaders in particular. Yes, poor leadership can wreck and do damage in a church, and so leadership is important, but the fate of First City Church doesn't depend upon me. It doesn't depend upon Pastor Paul. It doesn't depend upon our gospel community leaders. Yes, we want to be healthy. We, we want to lead well. We want to lead in godly ways, but look, if, but God forbid, one of us should fall. That doesn't mean First City Church is done. We're not dependent upon leaders. And this is so important, church, because we see leader after leader after leader after leader falling in the church. And it is sad. It should break our hearts. But at the end of the day, it does not stop the church. It doesn't mean God has abandoned us. It doesn't mean the power of God is gone. In fact, it should remind us that we depend upon God and we belong to him. We are the people of God. We are the church of God. Next, Paul says, that we're sanctified in Christ Jesus. Here's the power of God at work in our lives. If you are in Christ, you have been sanctified. This is a fancy word that means the power of sin has been broken in your life and you have been set apart for a purpose. So if you are in Jesus, here's the truth that when Christ went into the grave, when he died, he took your sin with him. And when he rose again, he left it there. And so the power of sin has been broken You no longer are under its power, its rule, its reign. You are free. Christ has cleansed you. And the hope we have, church, is this. No matter how messy it gets, no matter how painful, no matter how much sin sort of injects itself into the community, the greater power that is at work is this truth. We've been sanctified by God. We've been set free from the power of sin. There's a greater power in play. God's power. And so we live in community as those who have been set free. Notice this is in the past tense. It's happened. Once for all, the power of sin has been broken. And yes, we need to grow in godliness. Yes, we need to give ourselves to the habits of grace, prayer, and being in the word, and in community, and all those means that God gave us to grow in our faith. But guess what? The power is not in those things in and of themselves. The power is in the spirit of God, and the power is that Christ has broke the power of sin. This is how we live in community. This is why we have hope. To be sanctified also means to be set apart. That means that the purpose you live for is no longer common. When Mindy and I got married, one of the gifts we received, and maybe some of you received these as well, is these nice fine china plates for hosting particular parties and get-togethers. So we have nice place settings. But we only pull out those place settings for certain events, holidays, birthdays, special events, when, when the, the setting is going to be nice. Look, I did not bring our china for this picnic, and I hope you didn't bring yours either. Why? Because that, this is too common of a purpose. As, as great as this is, the purpose of that fine china is for something greater in church because we've been sanctified it means that our purpose in life now is for something greater. We've been set apart unto God for his purpose. And so, yes, we live common lives. We live ordinary, normal lives. But your ordinary, normal life is for a greater purpose. 
To be sanctified means you've been set apart to live for the glory of God, to live for the kingdom of God, to point other people to Christ so that goodness and righteousness and flourishing can be experienced in this community. We live for something greater than just our paycheck or our comfort. We live for something greater than just our own name. We've been set apart for a purpose. And Paul knew that about the church. He's saying, church, no matter how messy this gets, never forget your purpose is great. This is why we have Hope Church. And what this also means is we don't despair about our purpose. Yes, when the things get messy, we can lose sight of what we're doing here and why we're doing this. But what 1 Corinthians reminds us is we've been called, we've been set apart, and this purpose is glorious, it's beautiful, and it will be accomplished in us. This gives us hope. But then Paul also qualifies this idea of being sanctified. He says, sanctified by Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. We've been called to be saints together with all those who call upon the name of the Lord. So here's what we need to recognize. This whole sanctification thing, this whole the power of sin being broken, you growing in godliness and following Christ, that's not a solo act. That's not Lauren Hill. That's, it, this is the Fugees. Sorry, I'm dating myself a little bit here. But the point is, is that we don't do this by ourselves. The calling of God on our lives is not to do this alone. It is to do this with each other. We're called into a community. And what this also means, look, for you to grow in godliness, for you to be who God has called you to be, you need the community. The way that we live this out, the way that we live this calling to put the glory of God on display, to share Christ with others, to see righteousness and goodness and flourishing happening in our community, it happens as we do this together. And this brings us hope too. Because what this means is God intended us for be, to be together. And so we can do this together. The mess and the pain and the confusion and the frustration doesn't have to drive us away from one another. God intended for us to do this together. And so we have hope that this can be the community God has called us to be. If God's purpose is corporate, if his power works among his people, if we can do this together, what this means is the pain and the frustration should not drive us apart. Rather, we should work through it, work together, humble ourselves, repent where we need to repent, and come together to work through things. We're called to be saints together. Paul had great hope in God's power to create a community at Corinth that lived together in holiness, that loved one another and displayed the power of the gospel in the city of Corinth. And that hope is for us today too. In verses four through seven, Paul continues on about the power of God that's present in the church. And again, imagine this. Imagine interacting with a group of Christians that have been frustrating and have been messy and at times have challenged his authority and haven't been really kind to him at all times and just engaging that dynamic. And then here's what he writes in verses four through seven. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. I wonder, in the midst of all the mess and all the pain and all the confusion, can you give thanks for the grace of God that is at work in First City Church? 
can you look around and can you see the grace of God in people's lives? Can you see the grace of God in us together? And can it cause you to rejoice? Is that more prevalent in your mind than the sin in the mass? The hope that Paul had allowed him to see the grace of God and he gave thanks for the church. And he gave thanks that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's also why Paul was confident he had hope, because he knew the power of God and the Spirit of God had equipped the church. He'd given them everything that they needed to be successful in their mission. Gave them everything that they needed to walk in holiness and godliness and victory. You see, God doesn't skimp on his gifts as we're going to see. God doesn't leave us lacking. No, he abundantly gives gifts to his church that we can be enriched in all knowledge and speech, that we can be built up in Christ. That is happening in First City Church right now. That is happening in churches all throughout the world. The Spirit equipping people and people building each other up. Oh, do you have hope and confidence in the way the First City Church has been equipped? Do you have confidence that God has given you gifts to contribute to the church? We have every reason to be hopeful because we can walk in victory. We can be successful because of the Spirit and what the Spirit has done and the way God has gifted the church. And then finally, here's the kicker. The kicker here in the hope and the hope we have in all the mess, Paul writes in verses 8 and 9, that God will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. How do we know this is going to work? How do we know we're going to make it? How do we know that the, the pain and the sin isn't going to overwhelm and overtake us? Because God will sustain us. And God is faithful. Do you believe that? Do you believe that for yourself? And do you believe that for this church community? Do you believe that God himself will sustain you and sustain us? If you believe that, then you have every hope. You have every reason to be all in in this church community. Friends, our hope is not in ourselves our hope is not in our ability to get it together. Our hope is not in our own wisdom and our own gifting. Our hope is not in our personality and whether we're dynamic enough or whether we're outgoing enough. Our hope is not whether we're too messy or whether we're too put together. Our hope is in the power of God that sustains us, the power of God that equips us, the power of God that has set us free from sin, the power of God that is transforming and working in us. And God is faithful. And so friends, there's certainly, certainly going to be difficult days ahead. There's still days of pain. There's still days of confusion. There's still days of conflict. There's still days of mess. But in the midst of that, we have tremendous hope. We have every reason to hope. And my hope as we go through 1 Corinthians is that, one, the correction that we need to experience, because there's going to be correction, there's going to be a lot of correction for all of us, that we'll hear that correction, that we'll respond in humility, that we'll humble ourselves, we'll repent where we need to repent, and let the word of God change us and transform us.
But through all of that, I want us to hear over and over and over again the power of God in our lives, the power of the Spirit in our lives, working in our church. Let us not lose sight of the hope that it holds out for us. We are God's people. We have been transformed and are being transformed by his power. We have a God-given purpose to make him known in this world. May this hope cause us to lean in all the more. May it cause us to be open and ready to receive. May it cause us to lean into community even more and see the ways that God is at work in this community and the way he's using us and using us together. May it be said on the other side of our study in 1 Corinthians that we love Jesus more, we worship him more deeply, we walk in greater holiness and obedience, we love one another greater, and we are all the more convicted to go into this world and proclaim the gospel and make disciples that others may experience the grace of God. May what we experience as a community spill over into our community at large, that righteousness and goodness and hope and faith and truth would transform our city. Friends, God has some incredible things for us in this study. I'm excited. There are parts of this, this book of 1 Corinthians that scare me. <laughs> Teaching through them, preaching through them is going to be a wild ride in some ways, but I, have, I am confident, I'm excited, I'm expecting God to do some incredible things. And so my prayer is that we will all lean in with this great hope and receive what God has for us. Let's pray.